everybody. Welcome to the Albany Whole Lawyer Project, which highlights Asian American attorneys and leaders throughout the nation and the human stories behind their success. I'm your host, Jane Jong, and today I am super excited to speak with Steph Cha, a Korean American novelist whom I've admired from afar over the years. Steph is the author of four crime fiction and mystery novels. Thank you for being here with us, Steph. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. Perhaps you could start from the very beginning. Can you tell us a little bit about your childhood? Where did you grow up and who were some of your major influences in your life? I was born and raised in LA. I, I grew up in the San Fernando Valley and I grew up in a very large Korean American community. Mm -hmm. Even the Valley, which is like less central than Koreatown, was still pretty Korean. And my experience growing up was very tied to the Korean church and I went to like Korean school and Hagwon and mm. I felt like I was part of a very large community, even though I was from a minority background. And I always liked uh, reading. That was the big thing that I did. That's not very interesting. But I always had this strong interest in fiction. And so when I went to college, and became an English major, in large part because I wanted to read novels and have that be my schoolwork. Mm -hmm. That's about the amount of thought that went into that. I feel like my parents didn't really stress the getting a job side of things they were more on the you know ac academic excellence for its own sake what did your parents do for a living my dad was a lawyer actually oh okay um, and then he pivoted into commercial real estate God. and and my mom was an accountant but she stopped working when my brother was born so when i was about three four did you feel any pressure to follow in their footsteps at all? Or what did you want to be when you grew up? I didn't know. I think when I was young, I probably did want to be a novelist. Mm -hmm. But I don't think I really thought of that as a realistic outcome. I didn't know any writers growing up. I didn't know a single person mm -hmm. who were living. Like, I just didn't know anyone who did that professionally in any capacity. And so it didn't feel like a thing that I could do. It mm -hmm. felt like all these books in the bookstore were by these kind of mysterious people. And now I'm on, on the other side of it, and I know like a ton of writers, but when I was younger, that seemed like wanting to be an astronaut or an actress or something. Um, right, right. Got it. So you majored in English at Stanford. Yeah. And what was that experience like? I, I studied English because I enjoyed it. I liked the classwork and I liked writing about books and thinking about books. And Stanford actually has a couple different tracks for any, for English majors. You can major in uh, English literature or creative writing. And I decided to do English literature because I didn't want to miss out on learning about these great books, like in a seminar or classroom setting, mm -hmm. which is also how I like managed to graduate as an English major with some interest in creative writing without knowing that MFAs existed. I didn't know that was something I could apply to. I probably would have, and I'm actually glad that my career took this path instead. I remember going to a job fair as like a junior or senior in college and just not having a strong idea of what jobs were out there. I didn't have a career advisor. I probably had somebody at Stanford who I could have talked to and assigned a student advisor, but I didn't know that person. The only jobs I ever heard about growing up were the jobs that you'd see in like a picture book, like a doctor, or <laughs> a lawyer, a veterinarian. Right. My dad was a lawyer. My uncles, both lawyers. My aunt was a lawyer. I knew that. I knew that was a logical next step for an English major with good grades. And so I just, I took the LSAT. I applied to law school. I got in and I went. That's just kind of how it went. I didn't mm -hmm. put 
that much more thought into it. It just seemed like I didn't have any better ideas. Mm -hmm. And just seeing your relatives, did you have a clear sense of what being a lawyer day to day was? No, not at all. Okay. Not at least. <laughs> My dad worked a lot. Yeah. We um, <laughs> worked the kind of family where like he'd come home from work and talk about his job I never heard about like, interesting cases or anything like that I just was aware that it was the thing that he did when he wasn't home mm -hmm, you know? mm -hmm. but he didn't instill like any kind of interest in the law in me mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so when you arrive at Yale Law School what happens there I had a good time in law school but the summer after my 1L year I worked for a law firm and mm -hmm. I just hated it. I was working for a law firm where they like court you and the culture was just so bad. It was such a terrible place to be a woman. Mm -hmm. Also, the people seemed to work really hard and be miserable. It was this yeah. kind of like work hard, play hard kind of place, which is really just not my style. Very aggressive litigation firm. Mm -hmm. And they prided themselves on having a very lax dress code. You could show up in flip-flops. <laughs> but I think something about that culture, the kind of lax, work hard, play hard thing, lent itself to a whole lot of sexual harassment. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like it was... So during my summer, I remember they spent so much money on recruiting events. And it was right. fun. And I had fun. But I remember, like, the very first weekend that I was working there, we went on, like, a wine-tasting bus trip. And that night, there was a party at one of the associate's apartments. And the associate tried to kiss me at this party when I'd been working at this firm for three days. Wow. <laughs> and yeah. It was just that kind of place. Wow. And I, I wow. in retrospect, I'm a little bit grateful that it was that comically bad. Because... <laughs> I, I started writing my first novel that summer. It shook me out of this, okay, what do you want to do with your life then? I, I wonder sometimes if I hadn't worked there, if I would have just gone with the flow a little bit longer. I kind of knew how to do well in school and work, but yeah, I'm, I'm happy it worked out that way. But anyway, so I started writing a novel that summer because I had always vaguely wanted to try it. You could have had any job in the legal field if you really wanted to. What made you so self-assured that this particular path was not going to be for you? I was very young. When I started this book, I was 22. Mm -hmm. And it's not like I went into law school with this understanding that I was going to be a lawyer. It was just like, I got into school, I, I got into Yale, and I got into mm -hmm. Columbia like a full ride. Mm -hmm. And I had a conversation with my parents about where I should go. And they just told me they would pay for my tuition if I went to Yale. I think the bragging rights are honestly worth it for them. <laughs> <laughs> and so I did not have, I did not have loans. Mm -hmm. Like my parents like supported me through law school. So it's just, I, I had this sort of experience that's different from a lot of law students, which is divorced from the practicalities of the mm -hmm. real world. Mm -hmm. And I think that made it a lot easier for me to do something like work on a novel mm. you know, while going to class. It's not like I like went for the Leo Law Journal or anything. I would mm -hmm. go home from class and tinker with this book. Mm -hmm. And when I was writing the novel, I wasn't necessarily thinking it would be published the whole time. I only Googled how to publish a novel after I finished the first draft. And that took oh, a wow. year and a half working on it on and, on and off. And so it felt just all like I was figuring stuff out as I went along. Right, right. And I think I just still felt a little bit very much like a student 
who wasn't worried about what was going to happen next. I right. think my parents gave me the ability to do that. That's it all came together in this youthful optimism <laughs> uh, that I think many people never experience and that many others probably associate more with like undergrad. Did you consider any other career paths at that point? I didn't because I think that my default was still, I was going to work as a lawyer after I graduated because mm-hmm. you know? that was always there. That was always a possibility. So I was working on the book and I figured after I graduated, I could work in law while trying to get published, giving myself some years to do that before right. I gave up on that dream. So I didn't have a third choice lined up. So you finish the manuscript and then you start looking into how to get published. At what point are, do you decide that this is what you're going to do full time and not do anything in the law on the side? honestly my long-term plan was always to once I realized that this book was publishable once I got an agent Mm -hmm. my long-term plan was always then to like write full-time that was the goal I think that's something that is pretty hard to get to and it takes some time and I didn't know when or how I was going to get there. I think it also helps that my husband is a lawyer. And so we have one person who's working all the time in a very stable job. But I worked as a lawyer for five years after law school, four years after law school. I did temp legal work. Mm-hmm. So I did doc review. I'm fluent Japanese. I'm roughly fluent. I don't know. I haven't spoken in a while now that I think yeah. about it. But I did Japanese language doc review, which is like a niche job. So actually, there's a whole cohort in LA of Japanese-speaking lawyers who get all these temp jobs because there are a lot of Japanese companies that get involved in litigation, and there's tons and tons of discovery. I worked on the Toyota accidental unintended acceleration case. That was my first job, and I worked that six months. And it pays very well because there just aren't a lot of people who do it. So I did that for six months of the year, and I worked on my books for six months of the year. And in 2015 is when I decided to write full-time. And writing full-time means I had an editing job. I edited for the LA Review of Books. I picked up a screenwriting job. My friend hired me to write a screenplay for him. I I had a lot of freelance reviewing work. So I wanted to get to the point where I could cobble together like a living as a writer and Mm -hmm. But not the living that I had, which was owning a home with my husband. It wasn't that kind of living, but it was like, it was enough that I felt like I was a working writer. And since then, I sold another book. It was like a much bigger book than my first three, which like only paid piddling amounts. Hmm. And I've also gotten into TV writing since then. What I make varies a lot from year to year. How much I work varies a lot from year to year. For example, in the last year, I've like barely gotten much any work done because I the pandemic hit and I had a baby. Mm-hmm. And now I edit for Best American, and I still do tons of freelancing and stuff like that. So it's a very different kind of living than being a lawyer. And I think most working writers that I know, their uh, careers look like that. They're like day to day. Interesting. Because I think people think of the writer alone and the workspace tapping out a novel and then like they write the next novel and mm-hmm. I know very few novelists who operate that way I, I got paid like almost nothing for that first book this is just how it goes there's an ongoing hustle and I think it's why so many writers teach because that's a stable job that you can have while also working on the books I think right. LA is actually a really good place to be for working novelists because you can screenwrite 
That's awesome. Just to backtrack a little bit, you mentioned that you had landed an agent during law school. Is that correct? I met my agent, I think, right before I graduated. Got it. And by then, you had been working on it for a year and a half. More than that. I think uh, a little more than a year and a half. I finished the first draft in December of my 3L year. Mm -hmm. And so I was shopping to agents in that, that spring, pretty much. I had queried somebody he worked under Mm. and he got back to me and he was building his list. And I remember I took the train from New Haven to New York and the agency was right by Grand Central and in this nice office. Mm -hmm. And I I wore a very professional dress and I went and met with this man. And in retrospect, I was 24 and he was 27. Mm. It was all just so serious. Yeah. Yeah. we worked together, but he wanted me to do revisions before he signed with me. Hmm. And so I spent the next year or so working on revisions. I also took the bar in that oh, time. Okay. Uh, obviously, I wasn't working while I was taking the bar. And worked on revisions, and eventually he signed me, but only after I improved the manuscript enough that I started querying other agents and got another offer. And in the meantime, you said you took the California bar, right? Yeah. I'm still barred. I actually still keep it active just on the off chance that I want to do any volunteer work. I have an immigration client Hmm. who I've had for over a year through a clinic, and I thought that would be a good thing to do. And I'm, like, still happy I'm doing it. I figured I did the hard part, which was go to law school and take the bar, so Hmm. I might as well, like, use it. But you took the bar, you passed the bar, but you never worked at a firm. You kept on doing the freelance work and the doc review work that you were telling me about. Yeah. So during the first five years out of law school, for instance, when you were doing both writing and legal work on the side, what was a traditional schedule for you, if you had any? Did you spend mornings or evenings writing, or how did you merge your creative job with your legal job? I had a very hard time going to work and doing a full work day and coming home and doing more work. And doing any work before going to work is, like, out of the question. <laughs> it's not a I'm not a morning person. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were definitely times when I worked at night after coming back from my day job, but that was not an everyday thing. That was if I had a deadline, but that's why I took the six months where I would just be writing. And I actually think having the job and giving up the ability to like work and doc review made me treat the like off time as more precious and Mm. made me treat it more like a job, which I think is something that I needed because writing novels, it's it's such an unstructured thing. You just have to keep yourself accountable. So I would mostly work in those off months. I'm very good about keeping deadlines. I have to be because if if not, I wouldn't get anything done. And was your family supportive during this transition period? They were totally fine. My parents also came to the States pretty young. So my dad was 12 when he came, my mom was 15. And they're not super traditional. Right. They are in some ways, and in others they aren't. And one of the ways they aren't is that they don't really care what I do as long as I am happy and hopefully accomplished in whatever capacity. Yes, I think it makes a difference that I did get published. Mm -hmm. But I don't think they cared if I became a working novelist or a working lawyer. And I think now they think it's cool that I do this. That's awesome. Yeah. So let's talk about your books for a bit, because I remember I came across your books way back in the day. And I remember thinking it's so rare to have a Korean American character. 
How did you find those books? I feel like no one read my first three books. <laughs> <laughs> For me, I'm personally a book nerd. And I grew up reading books where no one looked like me. And no one had my experiences. And I'm an immigrant. I was born in Korea. We moved when I was five. It's only been, I would say, in the last year or two years where I'm starting to see more Asian American representation in mainstream media. But I actually sought out books when I was a kid thinking there has to be people who write about at least someone who looks like me. I remember reading your books and thinking how rare it was to have a Korean American character. Did you similarly notice a gap in what is missing in mainstream novels? How did you generate inspiration for your protagonist? wanted to write like a Raymond Chandler style novel about Los Angeles that had a Korean American protagonist and that took place in that kind of Korean American community. Because I don't know, where did you grow up in the US? I grew up in New Jersey. That's also like a large Korean American community. It is, but it also isn't. I was pretty much the only Asian kid growing up. Oh, okay. Yeah. I felt like my experience of LA was just so different from representations of Los Angeles I'd seen in any kind of media. And mm-hmm. so I thought that the Raymond Chandler lens was a fun one that I could use to look at my community and my upbringing and my city that I knew it. And so that's how that book came about. And I did want to write a book about a Korean American character that wasn't an identity novel. I, I do love an identity novel, don't get me wrong. I am really inspired by a lot of those books, but that's not what I wanted to write. I wanted to write about a character who is obviously Korean American and her identity is important to her and mm. is a big part of her character, but who does other things that aren't agonizing over her status in America. And what has been the most rewarding thing for you as an author? You know, I still just get a kick out of people reading my books. Mm-hmm. Like, just the idea that something that I generate from my couch and, <laughs> uh, you know, I use novels to express things that I care about. And I really like that that translates to other people. And I also get to do so much reading. I'm really lucky to be in this profession. What advice would you have for people, including myself, who are in the law and who are also interested in creative pursuits, whether in writing or in the arts? How would you advise us in bifurcating our time in the ways that you have? I've had a lot more flexibility uh, than you might have working like all year round in full time. But I also know a lot of lawyers who've become novelists. I guess the advice I would give is that When you haven't written a novel, and when you don't know people who have, it seems like this impossible thing. A a project that's different in kind from everything else that you do. And I would just say that it's not. It's many hours of work on top of one another. You just write page by page. And eventually you have something that looks like a book, and then you chisel it, and you revise it until it together there's no magic to it that was like a big discovery for me the writing of every book has been different for me I think the biggest part of it is just like finding the time to write those books and mm-hmm. figuring it out and like forcing yourself to like stare at the empty word document one final question what is next for you I haven't started a new novel yet which is gallon to me you know because I've been busy with best American I'm editing the best American mystery and suspense anthology and so that's been 
a ton of reading and it's actually been good work for me because it's compatible with having a newborn. I have childcare here and there, but it's just not enough to sit down and like really sink into a novel yet. But hopefully this year I'll get into another novel. The other thing though is I write contemporary novels about LA and I like haven't been outside in LA. <laughs> you know? And the city has just changed because of this. I don't know. Very different. Yeah. When we're all vaccinated, all the people who are getting evicted, and I, I, I just don't know. So that's my excuse to put it off a little bit. But I, I just feel like uh, my books go the way LA goes, and I guess I don't know what that looks like yet. We'll keep posted, and I'll definitely link your website if anyone is interested in finding out more about your books. So thank you so much, Steph, for your time. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thank you.